You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, if you want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. This is the word of the Lord. So there's an old adage, never meet your heroes. You've got this vision of a person being so great, so accomplished, so set apart, it's almost as if they're mythological. And then you finally get the chance to meet that person and you realize that they're kind of average. They're maybe shorter than you thought or hairier than you thought. They're not very special. They're kind of ordinary. Or you've got this idea that this person's a really good person. They seem to be so kind and relatable. And then you finally get the chance to meet them and you realize they're kind of a jerk. It's just been phony. They're standoffish. Uh, or they're snooty. Or they're just really socially awkward. And they can't relate to people. The role of a hero, if you think about it, is sort of an impossible role because they've got to be better than us in order to be a hero, but they've got to be like us. And we're going to struggle to connect with someone who is so superior that they don't know what it's like to be the rest of us humanity, and yet we're going to be disappointed by someone who is so like us that they can't do anything for us. Listen to me. Christianity is not going to ask you to settle for one or the other. Christianity is not going to ask you to settle for a transcendent, majestic Savior that is so great that we can't relate to him, nor a sympathetic priest that is so much like us that he can't actually help us. No, Hebrews shows us that Jesus, our high priest, is high above us and set apart in holiness and perfection, and yet he is absolutely close to us in our humanity and in our vulnerability. This Advent, as we approach Christmas, this is the vision of Jesus that we need, one who is both great but also gentle. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to look at this passage under three Headings, we're going to look at a restrained power, a gentle priest, and then thirdly, 
a wayward people. So let's begin with the theme of a restrained power. Now, this, this word gentle is actually a difficult word to describe and define because I think for a lot of us, when we hear this word gentleness, or as some translations read, meekness, what we automatically think of is soft, frail, timid, incapable, lacking a backbone. But it actually takes serious strength to be gentle. Look with me again in chapter 5, verse 2. We're told he can deal gently. Or if you have the NIV, it reads like this. He is able to deal gently. So in the original language, this word here for can deal or who is able is the word dunamai. It's where we get the word dynamite. It means power. So he has the strength, he has the power to deal with us gently. It is the same word that is found in Ephesians chapter 3 when Paul is describing God's unlimited ability, when Paul says this famous line, now to him who is able, and that's typically where the church says amen, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Him who is able. So gentleness in its truest sense is an intentional restraint of power in order to not inflict harm or pain on someone and instead to intentionally show tenderness, kindness, and care. Now think about worldly power. Worldly power flexes its muscle. Worldly power is all about brute displays of strength, but Jesus reveals how heavenly power is displayed. Heavenly power is displayed in bridled strength. That is what makes the incarnation of Jesus or Jesus coming in the flesh, the birth of Jesus Christ, that's what makes the incarnation so spectacular. It is voluntary weakness. Voluntary. As one author put it, the omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. Voluntary weakness. The, uh, the famous UK Prime Minister from the mid-20th century, Winston Churchill. He was once asked about one of his political opponents. His political opponent was known for being a humble man. Winston Churchill was not. He was very rude and opinionated and very proud. And in contrast, he was asked about his political opponent. For, you know, why are they so humble and you are not? And his response was this. He's a humble man with much to be humble about. In other words, it's not impressive to be humble if you've got nothing to be proud about. You should be humble if you've got nothing to be proud about. There's nothing to be proud about. Likewise, it is not impressive when someone who is naturally weak chooses to be weak. 
there's nothing spectacular about that. What's impressive is when someone powerful, someone able, chooses to be gentle. Now, to illustrate this, think about a lioness and her cubs. Maybe you've been to the zoo or you've seen this video or something like that. Typically, a lioness with her cubs, the, the mother lion will open up her mouth and bear those terrifying lion teeth and open that mouth and put it around the neck of a cub that if she applied just a tiny bit more pressure, she could crush the neck of that cub. But in her bridled strength, she presses just enough to with that fierce mouth, carry her cubs gently. Gentleness is a powerful embrace of love and care. It's intentional, it is thoughtful, it is restrained. Now, the truth is, if we refuse to come to Jesus, if we disregard Jesus and the grace that is found in him alone, we will eventually experience him not as gentle, but we will experience Jesus as fierce and severe. We will not experience restrained power. We will experience unrestrained power. In fact, the Bible describes Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You do not slap a lion in the face and get away with it. Like Aslan in the famous Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is a lion, a great lion. Oh, Susan responded. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's the king. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. So this lion is gentle. This lion is caring. This lion is good. But he is not safe. The passage that we focused on this morning at our pre-service prayer at 8 a.m. was a passage from Isaiah chapter 40. And catch the tension in this passage and the contrast of words that we see in Isaiah chapter 40 as it describes hundreds of years before the incarnation as it describes the ministry of Jesus. It says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So what does he do with all of that strength? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So Jesus harnesses all of the might of heaven to save. All of his authority to gather in. All of his power to carry his people and to lead us gently. It's a restrained power. Secondly, if you're taking notes, a gentle priest. Look with me again in verses 1 through 2. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. We looked at this a little bit last week. In order to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can deal gently 
with the ignorant and wayward, we'll come back to that in a moment, since he himself is beset with weakness. So the author of Hebrews is referring back to the role of the priest mentioned in the Old Testament. We see specifically the role of the priest and also the qualifications, the necessary qualifications of the priest. First, the role of the priest was to represent the people to God on behalf of, or some translations read, in the place of. Now hang on to that phrase because it's absolutely necessary to understand then what Jesus did at the cross for us. On behalf of, in the place of. And so as John Owen put it, the high priest stands and acts in the place of others. He appears on their behalf. He represents them. He pleads their cause. He confesses their sins. The priest stands in the place of the people. That was the role. The qualifications were that the priest then must be appointed among people. Don't take this for granted. The priest had to be a human. They had to be flesh and blood. So it couldn't be some sort of otherworldly superhero. It couldn't be an angel or some other member of the heavenly host. He had to be human. And because they were human, they had to be gentle. And here's why. Because they would know what it's like to feel vulnerable. The priest would know what it's like to be tired. The priest would know what it's like to be tempted in the flesh. They would know what it's like to experience human weakness and all of its broad implications. Think about it this way, a harsh spiritual leader. And maybe you've had an experience with one or two or many. A harsh spiritual leader is a repressed person because they're in denial about their own frailty. They're in denial about their own humanity. They're in denial about what makes them human and what they share with everyone that they serve need. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us that the priests of old were a type of the great high priest Jesus Christ who was to come. But here is the key difference, that the priests of Israel offered sacrifice on behalf of the people's sin, but also their own sin. The priests went beyond the veil as a human who sins himself. So his sacrifice wasn't just for them out there. It was for him in there. But this great high priest, Jesus, offers his sinless life as the sacrifice for the people in their place, on their behalf. He lived the life that no one could live. He died the death that we deserve as our substitute, as our stand-in. And then he rose and ascended to be our forever high priest who is now representing us as we speak. The author of Hebrews would go on to say this in Hebrews chapter 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, speaking of Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Hang on to that word, permanently. Because he, 
continues forever. Consequently, here's that word again, he is able, amen, to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, for us. So, here's the application. Because our gentle priest always lives, we can always anticipate gentleness when we turn to God in faith. We never have to fear God's grace running out. We never have to wonder if God is going to get sick of taking care of us. We never have to prepare for God to change his mind about us. You know what? I'm sick of that person. I'm done with them. I thought they were, their life was looking so promising there at the beginning. They got baptized in joy. They were on the right track. But I don't know about this person anymore. Why? What, what gives us the confidence that God's not going to change his mind or his demeanor towards those who come to him in faith? Well, the answer is found here in the text because we have a forever high priest who is representing us. And this is what gives us confidence to draw near to God when we need, and believe me, friend, we need it more than we know. When we need grace and when we need mercy, he never stops dealing gently with us. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, how he spoke to the people, how he cared for the people, how he loved people. At the end, how he died and rose for the people. But Matthew 11 is unique in that it gives us insight into the heart of Jesus, how specifically Jesus feels for his people. In fact, it's one of the very few places in the Bible that Jesus, in his own words, tells us what's going on in his own heart, what he feels for us in the deepest places of his being. And we're told this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am gentle. Dane Ortland put it this way. If we were asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, one thing, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible for all of his resplendent or brilliant glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. What do you think about that? No one in human history 
has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. So let me ask you again, where do you turn? Who do you run to when you need care? Who do you turn to when you need to be seen? What are the sources that you run to for love, affection, help? No one is more accessible than this Jesus. Amen? Let's look finally at a wayward people. Verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. So to appreciate Jesus' gentleness, you have got to get honest about your ignorance and your own waywardness. There's a line from one of the old hymns, Come Thou Fount, that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. This is not a theoretical knowledge. Many of us will say, yeah, 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 I understand that I'm a sinner. Yeah, 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 I've read the creeds before. I, I understand that I am a sinner. No, I feel it. I feel it in my heart. I feel my urge towards sin. I feel that pull in my heart away from the goodness and the abundance of God to lesser things in my life. To experience Jesus' gentleness, you've got to feel your waywardness. It can't just be intellectual and say, yeah, yeah, I get it. You gotta feel it deep in your bones. This is actually the image that the Bible gives us when it is describing our sin condition. It says in Isaiah 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. So what's wrong with us? I mean, like, really, what is wrong with us? What's wrong with humanity? What is the source of our brokenness? What is the source of our hurt? What is the source of our confusion? What is the source of our identity crisis? What is the source of our fear that haunts us and grips us? The answer is here. We're wayward people. We're easily deceived. We're weak in our resolve. We're susceptible to temptation. As Augustine would put it, we're disordered in our loves, in our heart. We're ignorant of who God is. We're ignorant of all that God has promised. We're wayward in our souls. We gotta deal with that. We gotta get honest about that. We gotta admit that. But this image of waywardness also explains to us why Jesus came in the first place. Luke chapter 15, Jesus says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. Brian, we're going to rejoice with you today as you're baptized. 
But guess what? All of heaven, all of heaven will join in as well. Guess what? We've all gone astray. But Jesus comes after us to bring us back home. The ignorant, no one wants to be called ignorant. The ignorant and the wayward, it's intended to represent the broad spectrum of people and situations. Those who don't know any better and those who do know and yet have veered off. There's a sense of unintentional and intentional. And what the author of Hebrews is trying to express here is every kind of sinner. And here's the point. This is the kind of gospel math that you need to master in order to understand everything else in Christianity. The point is this. Jesus has one, one disposition towards the many kinds of sinners that repent and come to him for grace. One disposition for the various sins of those who come to him in repentance for his grace and forgiveness. That one disposition is gentleness. I I think about the way that we approach our kids as parents. Seldom gentle. We as parents can't help but be reactive. We, We like to think that we're in control of this whole thing. Oh man, they are ruling the roost. And we know this because their actions have the power to control our emotions. Their lives have the ability to control our disposition. We often respond according to the offense. Our mood, our emotions, our tone, our severity is often determined by what they did or by what they didn't do. But for those who come to Jesus by faith, we can always anticipate him dealing gently with us. He does not lose his temper with us. He does not lash out, and this is not a strain for him. Jesus is not in heaven like white knuckle, like, oh my gosh, one more thing. I'm gonna fly off the handle with you. No, gentleness is what comes most naturally to him. Why? It's because who he is. Gentleness is not something he turns on and off. But Jesus himself said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Now, we may think to ourselves, isn't this just going to enable more waywardness? Like if we know, as the Christian, if we know that this is how Jesus is always going to be toward us, isn't this just going to enable us to do whatever we want? Because then we can just come back to him and we know we'll be received gently and then we go off Monday through Friday and we keep living how we want to live. I actually think the opposite is true. Nothing transforms a heart like unexpected gentleness. Little story. Years ago, we were in the process of adoption and we had a series of uh, interactions with extended family that were, well, less than civil. Sometimes when you're in the process of adoption, biological family, um, for right or for wrong, can see you as a, as a problem, as the enemy. And you just gotta not take it personally. So we, we had a visitation, a planned court-ordered visitation at a restaurant, and things escalated very quickly. And I am sitting there at a certain moment, and there's a woman standing over me, next to me, about this close, 
yelling at me. And I remember in that moment just feeling embarrassed for her, embarrassed for myself, um, embarrassed for the kids who are watching and totally just confused by this. A little bit jealous too, by the way, that Michelle had conveniently chosen to go use the restroom at this moment. And I'm going to be honest with you. I am, I, this may come as a shock to you, but I am naturally confrontational. Naturally confrontational. So I sat there debating what I should say and what I should do. And I'm going to be completely honest. Nothing less than supernatural grace. Nothing less than a move of the Holy Spirit. And I say this because it's actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It came upon me, compelling me to do something that I would have not otherwise done. I slowly stood up. I looked her square in the eyes. I opened my arms. And as she is yelling in my ear, I go in for a hug. Now, that could have, this could have gone really, really bad. I could have been like shanked with a spork or something. And just at this moment, Michelle's coming out of the restroom like, what is happening right now? And I, I pull away, and she's got tears in her eyes. And the yelling has subsided and the mood has changed and the situation is completely transformed. Nothing transforms a heart like an experience of gentleness and specifically an experience of gentleness that is unexpected. When you are expect, expecting harshness and severity for whatever decisions that you've made. The gentleness of Jesus does not enable sin, friend. Hear me clearly. This is not a pass to now go live how you want. The gentleness of Jesus, a true experience of the gentleness of Jesus, disables our sin. And instead of allowing for more waywardness, what it does is it draws us deeper into the heart of Jesus Christ. I want more of this and more of this, and more of this. And there's an effect. It makes us a gentle people too. The way that we interact with people is inevitably gonna be shaped by the way that we think that God interacts with us. If we think that God is cruel, and if we think that God is harsh and temperamental and always grumpy, and his hand is lifted, ready to come down hard on us or push us away, then it is going to be really easy for us to justify harshness towards others. It's going to be really easy for us to justify being impatient and severe towards those who need our patience. We cannot change our attitudes, nor can we change our actions towards others until first the Spirit changes our minds about God, until our hearts are softened by Jesus' tenderness towards us. If, and this is the important if, if you are hidden in Christ through faith, if you've trusted in him for salvation, you never have to anticipate any kind of mood, any kind of disposition, any kind of interaction with God that is anything other than gentle. There is never a rude glare awaiting you. And there's never impatience for how long your process is taking. 
And there are never eyes of disdain or rage towards you. Never a hand raised to smack you down or to push you away. No, his presence, his embrace, his everything is always and only tender to those who are his through faith. Always gentle. And our gentle high priest is the reason we have this confidence. See, to recognize and to experience this kind of gentleness, number one, we do have to admit our own waywardness, but we also have to understand the severity of our sins and what our sins actually deserve. Jesus endured the harshness that was reserved for us on the cross. Jesus experienced the just wrath of God against sin in our place so that the gentleness of God could forever embrace us. And as we receive, and as we experience this kind of gentleness towards us, gentleness towards others will begin to slowly grow in us. Our harshness, and our impatience, and our defensiveness, and our triggeredness, and our always ready to lash out at others-ness will be replaced with tenderness, and patience, and grace. Finally, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians chapter four, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. My prayer for, today, uh, prayer for us today is simple, that we would experience the gentleness of Jesus and that he would make us a gentle people. Amen? Amen. Father, we... we...